Welcome to episode number 57, Burdens, part two. I am your host, Damon Soka. Last week I discussed those burdens that intrude into our lives without permission or context. Illness, death, mortality seems to be full of the burdens of nature. It comes because we live here in a telestial world where death is a regular patron and suffering is more than just a nuisance. There are events we can't control, or perhaps even more frustrating, we can only control part of the event, thus leaving us believing the illusion that we somehow possess some kind of control, when the reality is quite the opposite. These burdens can be more bothersome than a gnat flitting in and out of our vision. They can and often do stop us in our tracks, spin us around, and cause us to stumble forward and often backward. They can test our faith in the divine, actually one of their purposes, and cause us to see darkness where light once filtered in. We are humanly mortal, and we understand that nature has its way of getting under our skin. But we still want someone or something to blame. Now Murphy has taken his share of the blame, along with black cats, stepladders, mirrors, and people who we do not know, and perhaps some we do. Blame is just part of our desire for justice, which is an echo of the world where we used to live, a world with a world with complete justice. Now, with justice in this world seemingly nowhere in sight, we look to create our own. And so we find the culprit. We cast our stones, and somehow we feel a little better, even if the stone doesn't hit its mark and only falls harmlessly into a darkened sphere. Somewhere in our DNA, spiritual or otherwise, we want to see a cause and effect. We want to see a crime, a perpetrator, and justice. I think that it's likely that a product of where we came from, because it's because the cause is rarely apparent in this life when it comes to illness, disease, mental illness, and those random occurrences that seem to come when we least expect it and when life has already struck us a knockout blow. Now, in the previous podcast, I talked about my own experience and how I have come to better understand these occurrences in our lives. The point to my story was simple. When we are trying to do our best and mortality combines against us, it's important to remember that there are no accidents, random occurrences, or surprises in our lives with the Lord, even if they are a surprise to us. Each is planned for our good and learning, even if that learning needs to come through the valley of the shadow of death, or perhaps realizing that the mountain you just summited was only preparation for what you now see before you. I realized that in my previous podcast, I had forgotten to mention something important about my long-term effort to place everything upon the altar of the Lord. It can feel almost impossible to say, I'm willing to place all of my all upon the altar when you feel you have reached the absolute end of what you can do. When you are begging for relief, some small grain of sand miracle some particle of light through the midst of darkness, to say that you can stand at the altar, feeling as though the very life has been drained from your body, and then to say that you had more to give seems ludicrous, outlandish, and almost a lie. Certainly, the Lord would not require more than I have already given. In that moment, when you approach the altar to give, there is a fear that he might just ask more of you. And you can't. You just can't. I know that fear. I understand 
even the hesitancy to enter the temple of prayer, much less place something more on the altar. I have feared to say the words, but thy will be done. It is as much a part of the mortal experience as life itself. I have left out those words more than a few times in my pleading, in my pain-stricken moments. Sometimes I think that the words simply would not come to my mind. It is okay to come to those moments. It is okay to say that you have difficulty even saying the words thy will be done, much less placing a true intent behind them. It is okay that you can't feel the desire for the Lord's will to be done. Do you not think that the Lord already is aware of that? He is fully aware. And he has said something similar in his time of need. He said something similar to take this cup from me. Yes, of course, he said thy will be done in that he said he would drink it up if asked. But those words often help me in my time of need. Even if the Lord of all, fully understanding what he had to do, felt those mortal desire to say, have I not done enough? Must I suffer more? I want to say that when you approach the Lord at the altar of prayer, and the only words you can mutter are, I need help, that the help you desire will come. Now, the help always comes, but often it's not as we desire it to be. I admit that sometimes it does, it does exactly the way we want it, and our burdens are instantly lighter. The more often, more often the Lord shifts the load just enough that we are able to continue forward, bearing as it were the burden that for all intents and purposes we may not even understand. So it is okay to approach the altar with what you have and what you have to give and what you can give. If there is nothing to give, then so be it. Allow the Lord to hear your heart and soul and expect that miracle. Even if that miracle is not the one you expected. So now on to the other types of burdens that we experience in our lives. I discussed in the previous podcast that the remaining two burdens were those that we create for ourselves and those brought upon us by the actions of others. Now of the two, we can often understand the burdens placed upon us when we walk away from the Lord. Now we may not like the burdens that are placed upon us when we walk away. We may even think them unfair and unjust. Frustrated and angry, we may even curse God and wish to die. But at some level, we get it. We don't like that there are rules we didn't make and that gods of the universe have already laid out the plan. But when we feel the burdens, there is certainly some recognition that we're probably not in the pathway we should be in. The one, is, the one that is by far most difficult is the burden of the innocent victim. Often mental illness plays a starring role in the lives of innocent victims of the actions of others. Now those burdens can run as deep as the caverns traversing the Grand Canyon in Arizona. There is nothing easy about being an innocent victim in any sense of the word or of the role that is played. The victim does not deserve the burden, the punishment, the mental illness, the suffering, and pain or anything at all remotely attached to the selfish, selfish action of the other person. The perpetrator, yet the burden, the burden burns and scars them deeply. Everywhere they look, there are wounds that are difficult to heal, memories that resurface when least expected, scars that appear to be healed but bear deep and abiding pain. The whole world of the victim can be redefined in just that one moment in time when the perpetrator acts, and that moment in time defines 
and can define almost every action of the future to a greater or lesser, lesser measure. Where there was optimism and happiness, perhaps now fear and uncertainty, a future that seemed limit, limitless now appears far more limited and lifeless. Now these type, types of burdens have a cause. They have a perpetrator. They have somewhere to throw the rocks. But throwing the stones seems only to cause a desire to throw more stones. While justice may spur spiritual, spiritually and temporally with now, while justice may occur spiritually and temporally with the penalty of church and state, it seems no amount of justice can lighten these burdens. For many, the burden is so great that those who are vulnerable to mental illness often fall victim a second time to the merciless effects of the disease. The effects may arise right away or simmer just under the surface waiting for an opportune moment. In either, in either case, the result will likely be the same, even if the symptoms for each individual may not. For some, symptoms may not even feel related to the issue and the true cause that is so deep. It can be difficult to link a deep burden that has been carried so long that we no longer know life without it to a more current change in our mental or physical condition. It is important to remember with these types of burdens combined with mental illness, that you don't have to fit the common profile to be just as affected by mental illness as the others who have a more genetic component. A burden of this nature can result in both physical and mental symptoms. Panic attacks, fainting spells, tears for no reason, serious bouts of anger or frustration for no reason, severe nausea, weight gain, weight loss, hair loss, immune responses, rashes, physical illnesses without any seeming cause, pains and headaches, and then also include the depressed state of mind, sadness, withdrawal, loss of desire and connection, loss of spirituality, loss of the desire to love, fear of the opposite sex, fear of a particular type of person, fear of a location or similar locations. The important part of all these symptoms is that they point to the same mental illness and the need for help, love, compassion, and healing. Now, I have discussed previously that therapy with a good brain trainer who understands your religious principles and background is a good start. And I have certainly discussed many times other physical mortal solutions. All of those physical and mental and mortal solutions are a good start and are likely going to be required of the Lord. But there is something more that should be added that will hopefully give a more complete solution to you, and that is the Lord, the process of using the innocent victim's clause of the atonement of Jesus Christ. There are very few stories in the scriptures regarding this innocent victim's clause and its use. Now, you're going to find this clause only mentioned a couple of times, uh, one in Alma, Alma 11. You'll find a minor story uh, the story of Captain Moroni and Pahoran is one that is often mentioned, but it can be difficult to relate to this story for me as far as an innocent victim. Captain Moroni was not evil. He was no bully or abuser. He had no selfish end in mind when he wrote to his friend Pahoran. <clears throat> While Pahoran could have been offended, it was always likely that these two were going to remain friends. 
So I've always found that story interesting, but more difficult to implement in a situation where there is great injury. There is one that seems more fitting, which is also an alma. Now, the story goes a little like this, and you're going to have to excuse my additions. They help me bring kind of context and meaning to what is happening. Now, it was the night before a battle was to ensue. She had not slept for days, knowing that this day was coming. She lay beside her husband, who was also staring at the ceiling of the place they now called home. He didn't want to fight. Although previously he would have been anxious to do so, his recent conversion made what he once felt so right in fighting abhorrent and painfully wrong now. He didn't even own a sword. He would be called to the battle with his fellow brothers, and they would submit to their fate. Their hope was that by surrendering, they might be able to live in peace, although that might, not, that might have to be in some more remote place in the kingdom. But they both lay there anxiously, not knowing what might happen that evening. Morning came as mornings do, and he dressed, but not in his battle gear. He did not even have any. He dressed in what he now called his church clothing. She did as well, and smiled as she straightened the sash on, across his waist. It was still dark, but the rumblings outside told him it was time. She would go with him, but would not be in the battle. She would watch from afar, hoping that somehow a miracle would save him. With one final kiss of her and their son, and with tears running down his stoic face, he joined the other brethren. The field where they would surrender was not going to be far. It was just down in the valley from where they were staying that night. The men assembled, and with some words of comfort and a prayer of faith, they marched to face what would come. They entered the battlefield, with their wives looking down from above. But they looked strange, all dressed in their best, without blood on their foreheads, and not possessing a single weapon of any kind. Some even held the writings of the prophets. Now their leader led them out onto the field, as they had agreed with their enemy. The enemy had already amassed on the other side. Drunken with wine, painted with blood, and armed with every weapon that could be imagined, they faced this unarmed host. Their leaders had done their job well. Alcohol and anger make a terrible combination. As the battle was to commence, those without arms came forward and prostrated themselves on the ground in the manner of prayer. Some of the enemy hesitated. This isn't what they signed up to do. To battle a man face to face, sword to sword, was one thing, but to kill a man lying kneeling on the ground without so much as a weapon, it didn't feel right. Their leaders, however, wanted these people eradicated. And so the order was given, and the battle commenced. Although, as battles go, this didn't last long, especially when one side gives no resistance. Upon the hill behind the unarmed warriors, the hope that once was, that somehow life would be spared, was now no longer. They held one another and wept at the scene that now lay before them. Within minutes, the armed force had killed more than a thousand, and they lay dead, martyrs to their cause. Those who had killed them now stood silent, not knowing exactly what to do. Many were now casting their swords aside. Others were arguing with their leaders. A skirmish ensued between many of the soldiers and their leaders, and the army that was faded into the distance from whence they came. An awful ache came upon those who were left without their protectors and providers. They were widows now, and they had watched every painful moment. 
They did not deserve to be widows. They had done that which was right. They had become followers of the Savior. They were doing their best and trying to live a worthy life, worthy of exaltation. Now they stood without their husbands in a country that no longer wanted them or their children. They had no idea if their lives would even be spared. There was going to be no justice for them, as law could not reach those who had murdered their husbands. There was fear, tears, pain, and a deep feeling of loss and loneliness. As later they started walking towards that open field at dusk to commence a burial. As they came to the edge of the open field where their husbands had lain silently that day, tears came again. They had brought tools of the field, tools of agriculture, to bury a part of themselves. With suffering, they moved slowly towards the lifeless bodies and began to prepare them for burial. For some, it was too much, and they collapsed for a time on those lifeless bodies. And they were comforted by others. As they began to dig with those instruments of agriculture, suddenly in the distance from where the army had previously come, a group of men emerged. These brave women did not know what to do. Were they here to slay them as well? What did they want? Some of the women now moved towards the edges of the forested hill. Others simply would not leave their husbands. Their despair was now was too great to be concerned for their own lives. As these men approached, they did not hold weapons, but instruments of agriculture, shovels, hoes, rakes, and before they came too close to that sacred spot of soil, they bowed themselves to the earth prostrate, and they asked for forgiveness for obeying the orders that they had received. Behind them were their own wives prostrate as well, holding those same instruments of the soil. So there they both stood, the victims who did not deserve their punishments and the perpetrators that, that had done that evil deed. The victims' pains were still raw and memory was still obviously fresh. At first fear and then anger and then somehow suddenly compassion. These great women, examples, and perhaps a few men, examples for the ages, left justice, left the throwing of stones, and raised up those who had not less than a few hours before had been lifted to kill the ones that they loved the most. They comforted those whose hearts had been broken by what they had done. Now these men deserved death, and they deserved death, well, they desired death and they deserved death, but what they received was compassion and love from those whom they had oppressed with their evil deeds. Yes, those deeds were done under orders of more evil men, but their hands were still covered with blood. They had still done the work, and that work lay still before them on the ground. Then they went forth, the victims and the perpetrators, and buried the martyrs. Now, I cannot say if I ever came to that kind of a decision that I would have done so honorably as did those beautiful Lamanite women. Perhaps there were even some older Lamanite men who had seen their sons perish. No matter the case, this stands as the platinum standard of burdens, <clears throat> both in the sense of the vile nature of the deed and the burdens that ensued, but also the compassion that was shown to the perpetrator that he did not deserve. Now, I get it. I have heard it before. The scriptures are replete with this message. Forgiveness is the key to removing the burdens felt by the sword of the perpetrator. Now, 
I get it, but the application of the scripture is far more elusive at times. That elusiveness does not improve when a mental illness is waiting to ensnare the soul or has taken hold of the mind and heart. However, even with the mental illness, that answer, the answer to removing the burden is the same. However, it may be even more complicated. Being unable to feel spiritual promptings, lack of desire for anything that might lead to removing the burden, uncontrollable tears and emotionless days and nights, days where even one emotionless moment would be preferred to the depths of despair that one has felt, I understand the difficulty of this process. Sometimes, and perhaps more than we would like, we are brought to those places and times when we simply do not have any further capacity to act. When all avenues have been exhausted and we sit at the end of a dark, dirty, dingy crevasse of a road where life and perhaps a perpetrator has dumped us and where we never wanted to be in the first place. Our location was not our choosing. As an innocent victim, we had been placed there by our perpetrator. We don't deserve the location, the darkness, the loneliness, the bitterness, darkness, the mental illness. Tears come far too easily, sleep far too difficult, and we have been overcome by evil forces, and we cry out from our, even our own liberty jail. O oh Lord, where art thou? And where is that pavilion that hideth thy face? Even more than what Joseph said in his jail, we cry out, O oh Lord, why did thou allow this to happen? Why weren't thou there when I needed thee most? When this perpetrator came into my life, where was my warning? My protection, my love, or thy love. Thou couldst have stopped the act, intervened, and I would not be here. Now I suffer greatly, deeply, have been cut off from not only what I knew as my mortal life and those things that I love to do, but I have been cut off spiritually. I suffer this terrible illness beyond what the perpetrator has done in my life. How can I ever be whole again? How can I move forward? Sometimes the answer our Father in Heaven gave to those questions to Joseph, that all these things shall be for thy good, and that they would last but for a small moment, feels incomplete and lacking. Not that eternal life is not what we desire and what was promised after some endurance. It doesn't seem to provide what we need in that moment. The promise is of the future, and it is something to be desired, but when you've been dumped in that eternal night of darkness that is mental illness, even next year can seem more than eternity away. When we are in these moments of deep mental illness despair, and while the promise of eternal life given to Joseph is still true, understand that no one has to wait very long upon the Lord if they cannot go any further. If there is no capacity, then the Lord carries his share of the load. Joseph, in his jail, yet had capacity. Some of us may not. And when we turn to the Lord in prayer, priesthood blessings or otherwise, he will respond mercifully, quickly, and without reserve. The burdens of the innocent victim are the Lord's burdens, and it is necessary that we should allow him to carry that which is his to carry. Yes, we may need some medication for some time, and we may need some good therapy for some time, but the Lord will provide the healing to the innocent victim. That, I promise. Now, not because 
I have seen it written in the scriptures, but because I have seen it in my own life and the lives of so many others. When we turn to the Lord, he is quickly at our side when we are victims. When we do our very small part, he's always there to carry the load. Now may the Lord bless you in your sufferings and ease your burdens. Until next week.